glad you're here today. Uh, that song uh, that uh, we just sang really uh, represents my prayer for us today. Honestly, that, that new life began uh, through, through the work of Jesus. And so at the end of this sermon, if you're like, you know, Steve wasn't communicating real well today. I didn't track with that. I didn't follow it. Go back and listen to that song, all right? Uh, that song's the sermon in three minutes. You're going to get the 35-minute version, unfortunately for you. Um, but that song's the three-minute version. So you can go back and listen to that song. It's, it's right on. Let's pray, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace, and uh, we thank you that uh, new life begins in him, uh, that this is not just about the forgiveness of our sins. This is about being delivered from them, and you invite us into that process, and we're grateful. May we be faithful to you. May we be faithful to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There are just a few things that you can look back on. Uh, that kind of technology thing, stuff like that, that have made an indelible difference in our lives, right? Um, I'm old enough that I kind of remember a little bit uh, life before the internet, right? It was a terrible cold day, right? It was just awful, right? But there was a time where information was not readily available to you. And I remember uh, that, uh, like, like I think about at the beginning of my pastoring uh, life and just uh, the internet was fairly kind of new then, you, you know, it had just kind of been invented in some lab somewhere. Um, and I think about the difference that the internet has just made like in ministry, that all the information and all the content that is available to you, that if I ever have like a question about God's word, I can kind of Google a little bit and it will take me to like a hundred different commentaries that I can study. It really is an amazing time, but I remember, I remember life before it. Uh, some of you may remember life before uh, cell phones or a time when, remember, you had a cell phone in your car that took up the back seat so your kids couldn't sit in there, right? They, they, they were that big. But would you have imagined that someday, Cheryl and I were just talking about this the other day, that can, could you have imagined when you were a kid thinking that there would come a time where we carried a computer in our pocket? Or even beyond that, can you imagine a time where you would say to your future self, hey, someday you're going to pay $1,000 for your telephone. <laughs> and you'd be like, I'm not going to. I mean, in 1980, the average price of a car was $7,000, right? So you just, you just wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, I'm going to pay $7,000 for my car, and I'm going to pay $1,000 for my, my phone. No one would have imagined it, but we really can't imagine now life without it, right? The difference that those devices make. I think for my kids... Uh, you know, like streaming services. I've talked to you about this before. I tell my kids about, you know, that there was this day where on a certain day, at a certain time, you would have to sit down and like watch a TV and, and catch that show right then. And if you missed it, like maybe you never got to see that again, right? Uh, and, and there was just a, a time or a place where you would have to sit and watch a television program. Now everything is just like streaming. I talk to, uh, I talk to my kids about it now and they're like, that's awful, that's just awful. It, it, you know, it, it's like abusive to them that, that somebody would have to live life that way because they're just used to be able to stream kind of anything, anywhere, at any time. And while all of that stuff makes the difference, my, my job today is that I want us to see uh, the power of the resurrection today. We've been in this series called Resurrection People, and I want us to see the power of the resurrection to change lives. Um, that, that I've told some people recently that for whatever reason, 
I developed this series uh, like eight, nine months ago, and it has just gotten embedded in me that this has become my prayer for me and my children and my family and for all of you, that we would see the resurrection and the power of it, and we would be moved by it, and we would worship Jesus for it, and that today our lives would be changed by it. I think this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. This is the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, 1 Corinthians 15. Now we're gonna be in Romans 6 if you wanna turn over uh, to that. And what we wanna talk about today is when it comes to the resurrection, when it, when it comes to the gospel, why is this, as Paul says, of first importance? And I think there are some things that are obvious to see that we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But when you think about the death of Jesus, you know, I think it would be real easy to see that, oh, yeah, it is through the death of Jesus that our sins are forgiven. And we're, we're going to talk about that more in a minute. There, so that's kind of an easy thing to say. When it comes to the resurrection, your mind might immediately go to what we talked about last week, that, man, because of the resurrection, I have the hope of heaven that Jesus resurrected, he ascended, he's gone back, and he is preparing a place for you, and he is preparing a place for me. I think that is a good uh, take-home point uh, as well. But what Paul is going to talk to us about today is that because of the resurrection, our lives and our mindset and our attitudes, they are forever changed. And here's what he says in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those, we are resurrection people who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, look at this, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, look at underline, this is a good one in your Bible. If you underline, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, church, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus Therefore, do not let sin reign in your moral body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin, because of the gospel, and specifically because of the resurrection, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. 
Here is the question that Paul is trying to answer here. The question on the screen for you is this. Does the gospel of Jesus, and specifically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, does the gospel make any difference in the way that we live? So Paul was trying to answer a false teaching that kind of found its way in the first century that said, because we have received grace upon grace upon grace, God doesn't really care how we live. God doesn't really, uh, God, God is just prepared to forgive our sin and he doesn't care really how we live. And so Paul is trying to answer this question. Is that true? That because we're under grace, because Jesus died for our sin, does he really not care at all? And it's a great question. And he starts with the death of Jesus to help us understand the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the mistake that we make. I think the mistake that we make is that we believe the work of Jesus is work that was done for us in totality. That Jesus is the participant in the story. We are not. So he came to earth for us. He lived a perfect life for us. He's the participant. He died for us. He resurrected for us. And it's true. All that's true. But sometimes what that creates is an emphasis on his effort and very little emphasis on ours. And I get it. All right? I get this. Because we don't ever want to give anybody the impression that we are saved by what we do. Because you're not. You're not saved by what you do. You are saved by what he did. But the New Testament would teach that while Jesus did those things to be sure, he invites us as his loved and forgiven children to, here's Paul's word, to be united with him, to be participants with him, to join him in the work that he is doing in our lives, in the work that he wants to accomplish so I would put it to you this way. We, this illustration is not perfect, but let's say you have a family member that wins $2 million, right? Congratulations for you. Happy day, right? You've got a family member. Don't forget to tithe it, all right? No, no, I'm kidding. Right? You have a family member that wins $2 million, right? I'm deflecting from the illustration, right? And they contact you and they're like, I won $2 million and I'm going to buy a brand new house. And it is plenty big. I want to give you one full story of it. And you and your family, you can live in this multi-million dollar house. I'm ready for you to move in. Or they say to you, I'm going to travel. And I'm going to go to all of these wonderfully exotic places. I want you to come and join me on these trips. I want to bring your family free of charge. Or I'm going to buy a new car. I, I, I'm going to buy this car, but I want you to, to take it whenever you want. You're, you're welcome to use it. They're inviting you to unite with them. They're inviting you to join them. They're inviting you to enjoy uh, their life and, and, and the, money, the money that they've received and the stuff that they bought. They're inviting you to travel the road with them together. And that illustration is not perfect. But I think it gives us a good way to understand what Paul just laid out for us. He says, while Jesus did the work, and we're going to talk about this more in about 30 seconds, while Jesus did this, this work, he is inviting us to unite with him. He is inviting us to join him. He is inviting us to travel this road with him. And what Paul says first is on the screen for you, that we are invited to be unified with him in death, right? 
Um, and, and one of the ways we participate with Jesus in the work that he is doing, he says, be united with me in my death. So what exactly does that mean? Well, first of all, let's try to understand the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. If you want to read this sometime in your free time, Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19 all kind of lay out the crucifixion of Jesus. All right, the crucifixion of Jesus, um, the, the cross in particular, was the result of a sick contest in Rome. I don't know if you know the history of that, that Rome said we want to kind of have a competition for who can invent the kind of worst way, the most horrific way to die, and the cross was the winning entry, right? It was a mixture of pain and suffocation, so you would have to kind of hold yourself up in order to get a breath, and in many times, not in Jesus' case, but in many times it would drag on for so long that they would finally come by and break your legs so that you couldn't push yourself up uh, and, and get those breaths and you would die of suffocation. Uh, Jesus didn't end up needing to have that because he was so brutally and severely beaten uh, b- before going up to the cross that, that the, the cross didn't drag on like it did for some other people that didn't have that. And, and Jesus is mocked. He's beaten with rods and fists. A, a crown of thorn is placed upon his skull. He's beaten with whips that would have been dipped in pieces of glass and bone. And the, the pure point of that was to tear flesh away from the bone. Jesus would have been disfigured and unrecognizable to almost anybody that knew him. And the torture of the cross lasted for six hours. He'd already been up all night, but he went to the cross at 9 a.m. the third hour to 3 p.m. the ninth hour. And the Bible says that from noon to three, darkness covered the whole earth. And that's what happened physically. This text is also talking about what happened spiritually. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And this this sin separated us from God. And here's what Jesus did. He paid your penalty. He sacrificed himself so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven by God. And that's true. I hope you know that this morning. Your sins are are forgiven. The gospel says that your salvation is secured by the work of Jesus alone. And part of what being united with him looks like, part of it is we're putting our faith in him and his death becomes our death. Um, The kind of fancy theological term for this is substitutionary atonement. That Jesus, the wages of your sin is death. Jesus substituted himself in your place so that you could become one with God. Atonement. Right? So that your sins could be forgiven and you could know God in this life and in the next. And all of that is 100% true. So we unite with Jesus through faith. We unite with Jesus and his death becomes our death. He dies for us so that we don't have to. Now the story doesn't end there though. How many of you know that Jesus loves you too much to just forgive your sin? This is good news that he certainly forgives your sin, but he loves you too much to just forgive it. Jesus has enacted a plan whereby you can overcome your sin, right? He didn't just go to the cross. He didn't just die that death to, to, to forgive it. He wants to help you defeat it. And he invites us to unite with him in this as well. This is Paul's overarching point. Paul's not talking a ton about forgiveness in this text. He's talking about the overcoming work of Jesus through his death that he wants to help us. He wants to forgive our sin, yes, but he wants us to help us defeat our sin, to overcome our sin. And he invites us to join him in this 
process. And for those of you that have crossed the line of faith, that you say, man, his de- I want Jesus's death to be my death. For those of you that have joined Jesus in this way, what does it mean to join him in this overcoming work? Well, I think it means a couple things. I think that first of all, Jesus saw your sin. It's how the gospel starts. He saw us in our sin. And those of us that are united with him, Jesus helps us to see our sin. So you and I are, are, are being invited, all right? Welcome to Northwest today. We're being invited to see our sin. It's hard, isn't it? In this culture, it is much easier to look out the windshield than it is to look in the mirror. It is so easy to be outraged, isn't it? It's so easy to be angry. It's so easy to be fed up. My wife, just a day and a half ago, saw someone absolutely go absolutely nuts in somebody in the Starbucks line. I mean, every profanity you can imagine to that poor Starbucks worker. Because it is easy to look out the windshield and to be angry and fed up and outraged and to kind of view that, man, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. That's easy. It is harder, but necessary, to look in the mirror and say, what's, going, what's taking hold of my life? To look in the mirror and say, is there an arrogance taking hold of me? Is there a greed taking hold of me? Is there an anger taking hold of me? Is there a lack of forgiveness or a lack of grace taking hold of me? This is part of what it means to be unified with him in his death. He saw our sin and he helps us to see it as well through the Holy Spirit. Second, he saw our sin and he was incredibly motivated to do something about it. Right? That's why I laid out what happened on the cross. He, he was put to death physically and spiritually. He, he buried your sin and he invites you to receive that gift of grace to be sure. But being united with him means that we join him in putting our sin to death on his cross. He said, part of the reason I went to the cross was to put that thing to death, to, to put that thing to death. And so he invites us to join him at the cross with our sin and allow him to pay for it on a daily basis. See, it is untrue to think that because of the cross, we are forgiven and unmotivated when it comes to sin, right? What's untrue is that our effort and our righteousness and our works can earn us salvation. That's not true at all. That our efforts can make us right with God. Our efforts can change our eternal destiny. That happens by grace and by grace alone. But here's what Paul is teaching us. There is a thing called grace-driven effort where we see the cross and we are moved by the cross and we are enchanted with the cross and we join Jesus in his efforts to pay for it. To put it to death, I should say. It's already been paid for. We join Jesus to put it to death. We unite with him in this work. We join him in the work of overcoming our sin. See, it is a positive, to th- it is a, it is a positive thing to think. How can I help Jesus bury this thing? This habit. This hang up. This sin that I keep circling back to. How can I join Jesus in defeating this? Jesus died for it, that is signed, sealed, and delivered, but overcoming it, he is inviting me to join him in this overcoming work. So maybe for some of us, it's we need to be held accountable, to ask a friend to help us be accountable for something. Maybe for some of us, we need a web blocker because the temptation has been so strong. Maybe some of us, we need a different job, honestly. There's a relationship there that is toxic. 
There is a reason that Jesus said, take up your cross daily. There's a reason Jesus said, visit the cross daily and put to death the sin that I already have paid for. Die daily because this, how many of you know, this is a daily exercise. Some days are rough and some days we fail and some days we return to old habits and we for, we're, we're forgiven. You get that, right? This isn't about that. We're forgiven. But we also don't give up. And we go back to the cross and we give it to Jesus again to pay for it there. We put it to death again and we do it daily, every single day. And this deeply spiritual thing happens when we unite with him on his work, and with, we unite with him with his work on the cross. Yeah, we're forgiven to be sure. But when we unite with him, we begin to see sin differently. We begin to be motivated to do something about it, just like Jesus was motivated to do something about it. And we begin to see everything differently. And the person we used to be when we unite ourselves with Christ, the person we used to be slowly dies. And you see this theme all throughout scripture. Here's some on the screen for you. First Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Romans 7.4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Colossians 3.5, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm united with him. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I know what some of you are thinking because this is the same thing I was thinking and have thought a lot in my life. Here's what some of you are thinking. Steve, you don't understand, this sin has been in my life for years. This sin, it has been in my family for generations. Do you know how many of people with my last name, do you know how many people have struggled with this very thing that I struggle with now? It's hereditary. And here's the conclusion that you've reached. You look at your family history, you look at your habits and your hangups, and here's what you, you, you say to yourself. I can't. I can't overcome it. I can't put it to death. I've tried and I've tried. I've taken it to the cross spiritually a hundred times and I've crucified it with Christ and I, I've, I've left it there at the cross and somehow it comes back and I fall into the same old habits and the same old hangups. I just can't. And to be honest, if we were just united with Jesus in his death, if that's all this text taught, you might be right. Although Paul seems to think it is very, very powerful spiritually to say, man, I am crucifying this with Christ. To kind of, kind of have that be your mental thing, that man, I am crucifying this sin with Jesus. Jesus paid it all, I am leaving it there. Paul seems to think there's something very powerful about that, to go through that mental and spiritual exercise. But beyond that, Here's what I need to know this morning. We're not just united with him in his death. Praise God. 
we are united with him in his resurrection. He raised from the dead so that you and I can live. So the text shows us, what does it mean to be united with him in the resurrection? Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves, think about yourselves as dead to sin. All right, so that's the mental exercise of this. Man, my family's had this in, in, our, in, in our family for generations. My dad struggled with this. My grandpa struggled with this. His dad struggled with this. Everybody struggles with this. And he says, no, you count yourselves dead to sin. Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. But count yourselves also alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, bought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin, because of the resurrection, sin is no longer going to be your master. You are not under law. You are not under law. You are under grace. And it does not matter to me that your granddaddy struggled with the same thing. The cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ is more powerful. So in Christ Jesus, you can. You can. You can overcome. You can defeat. You can put it to death. You can walk in freedom because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the power of the resurrection, you can. The resurrection was not just done for you. It's not just a nice story that we tell our kids at Easter where we get all pasteled up, right? And we hunt for Easter eggs and we go to church. It is not that. It is a unique power given to you by your Savior to say, man, you can overcome. You can walk in freedom. I didn't just come to forgive your sin. I came to defeat it. And we get to join him in that. He allows us to participate, and it is a daily thing, and some days we fail, and that's why we receive grace upon grace upon grace. But by the power of the resurrection, you can overcome your family history. You can overcome your genetics. You can overcome everything by the power of Christ. Here's what Paul says. You can count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. You don't have to let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. You can obey Christ. You don't have to be an instrument of uh, unrighteousness. You can be an instrument of righteousness and good in this world by the power of the resurrection. So we were away from home for a couple weeks a while ago and uh, we, had a, we were driving one vehicle and the other vehicle we just left in our driveway. And so we came home from the trip and uh, I got into the car and dead as a doornail. All right, just wouldn't turn. So I put the battery charger on it, dead. Right, tried to jump start it, dead. Put it on the charger for overnight, right, plugged it into the charger for overnight. Next morning, got up, dead, 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 right? Just dead. So I called AAA. That's why you have AAA, right? So I called them out and I said, man, I've been charging this thing all night. I don't know what's going on. And he said, well... I understand the charging posts are here under the hood, but you know that's not where your actual battery is in the car. And it looked like a casing for a battery and there were two posts there. I, said, I actually didn't know that. He said, no, the battery in this vehicle is behind the passenger seat in the floor. It's like, huh. And he said, I have found that the further you get from the power source, the harder it is to charge. I'm preaching 
right? So he unscrewed the floor mat, we, we brought it all up, and sure enough, there was the battery. He connected directly to the battery and the thing powered right up. And I learned a valuable lesson a couple weeks ago, and here's what it is. The closer you get to the power, the better off you are. And this is what Paul is talking about. Unite with Christ. Unite with him in his death. Unite with him in his life. Draw near to Jesus. Be close to him. Unite with him. And he will help you overcome your sin. He will. The, the, the message of the resurrection is not just, oh good, my sins get to be forgiven. Now we go on life as usual. Paul kind of uses harsher language than the English translates it, but it's by no means, right? But, but it's harsher than that. It's, I'm not, I like my job, so I'm not going to say it. But um, by no means. Shall we continue to sin that grace may about? By no means. You've been united with Christ. He died for your sin. He paid for it. Yes, that means you can be forgiven, but he also died for it so that you can overcome it. Unite with him. And he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. He resurrected so that you could live a new and different life. And I know I get family legacies. I do. Alcoholism and my side of family, it goes way, way back. I get family legacy. And I get telling yourself you can't, that you can't overcome. In Christ, I am telling you, you can. By the power of the resurrection, you and I can live different lives than anyone in our family. Going way back, you can go trace your family back as far. The, the power of the resurrection is stronger than the power of your genetics. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace to be certain. But we want to rise up and understand that our sins are not just forgiven. They are defeated. And so you invite, you invite us to unite with you in your death and to unite with you in your resurrection so that we can receive grace and power and new life to live differently. And for some of us, for a long time leading up to today, for a long time we've been saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing that. I can't, it's just in me. And I think today you want to challenge us on that. You want to say, it won't be easy. Unite with me. And by the power of my resurrection and by the power of my death, maybe we need to start telling ourselves we can. We can be a better parent than our parents were. We can be delivered from the addictions that plague them. We can be different people than our ancestors. And we can walk a new life because of your resurrection. Help us to receive it and walk in it today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together and this is an opportunity uh, for us to remember what we, we just kind of talked about, that the power of his death and uniting with him there and the power of his resurrection and uniting with him there, that we are united with Christ. And we raise up, just like Jesus raised, we raise up to live new and better and different lives. And so this is your opportunity to remember the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So we'll pass out a communion here in just a minute and you can kind of hold on to it uh, for a few minutes, spend some time with God, spend some time with Jesus, thanking him for his sacrifice so you can receive grace, but also not to, not to just forgive your sin, but to put it to death and deliver you from it. And so spend some time thanking him for the, for the gospel. 
and then I'll come back up and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you, his blood poured out. Would you guys, I want to give you a blessing. Will you guys stand up for a minute? I want to read this over you. As we get ready to sing one last song and leave this room, here's what Paul writes. In the same way as what we just did, remembering his death and uh, his body and his blood, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as a, uh, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, as you leave this place, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Amen? Let's close with one last song.